I'm a gun lover, a veteran, and a family man. I believe in the Second Amendment and responsible gun ownership. I'm Skip, and this is Gunsmoke. Hey y'all, we're back. like to announce, take a minute here, to, uh, this is our 100th podcast. I've been doing this in February, and I think that's a pretty good accomplishment. And we're also being heard worldwide. I mean, we've got a list of countries out there that, that's impressive. And that's all thankful to the World Wide Web. Got over 7,000 listens so far, and I think we've built up quite a following. We're doing great, and I'd like to thank each and every one of you for, you know, giving us a chance. Well, today I'd like to talk about the M50 Rising submachine gun. Now, the 45 caliber Rising was manufactured in, uh, by Harrington and Richardson uh, Arms Company of Worcester, Massachusetts, better known as H&R, and was designed and patented by Eugene Rising in 1940. The three versions of the weapon were the Model 50 and the Folding Stock Model 55 and the Semi-Automatic Model 60. Over 100,000 Risings were ordered during World War II and were initially used by the United States Navy, Marines, and uh, Coast Guard, though some were shipped to Canadian, Soviet, and other Allied forces to fight the Axis powers. The Rising submachine gun was innovative for its time, and uh, in a comparison to its main rival com- and famous buddy there was Thompson's uh, Model 1928 submachine gun. And it possessed similar firepower, but better accuracy, uh, better balance, uh, lightweight, plus much lower cost and greater ease of manufacture. But poor combat performance of the Rising contrasted with favorable combat and law enforcement use of the Thompson, and it forever mired the weapon in controversy. Now, Rising was an assistant to firearms inventor John M. Browning. In this role, Rising contributed to the final design of the Colt 1911 pistol, uh, the most well-known pistol in history as far as I'm concerned also. Uh, Rising then designed a number of commercial rifles and pistols on his own. When in 1938, he turned his attention to designing a submachine gun as threats of war rapidly grew in Europe. Two years uh, Later, he submitted his completed design to Harrington and Richardson Arms Company, and it was accepted. And in March 1941, H&R started manufacturing the Model 50 full-stock submachine gun. Months later, production began on a Model 55, which was identical to the Model 50 other than having a folded wire buttstock, which we'll talk about later, no compensator, and the barrel half an inch shorter. And the Model 60 full-stocked semi-automatic rifle also resembled the Model 50, but it had a 7-3-quarter-inch longer barrel without cooling fins or compensator. H&R promoted the submachine guns for police and military use, and the Model 60 for security guards. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 1941, the U.S. was suddenly in desperate need of thousands of modern automatic weapons. Rising's only competitor was again the Thompson Model 1928A1 submachine gun. The U.S. Army first tested the Rising in November of 1941 at Fort Benning, Georgia. 
and found several parts failed due to poor construction. Once corrected, a second test was made in 1942 at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. Uh, in that test, 3,500 rounds were fired, resulting in only two ma malfunctions. One was from the ammunition, and the other was from a bolt malfunction. As a result, the Army didn't adopt the rising, but the Navy and Marines did, faced with insufficient supplies of Thompsons. It was far less costly to produce uh, a rising, which cost $62, compared to the $200 for the Thompson. It was much lighter, 7 pounds versus 11 pounds, and the Model 55 was more compact, about 22 inches versus the 33-inch length of the Thompson. Rising cost less than the Thompson because of its metal components were mostly stampings instead of machine parts. Did that tell you something right there? Now, this also allowed it to be lighter, as did its firing mechanism. Like the 1928 A1 Thompson, its operating principle was delayed blowback, but the Thompson's blish block system was far less mechanically effective, and so, like a simple blowback weapon, the Thompson was dependent on a high bolt mass, or more specifically, bolt inertia, to provide an acceptable low rate of fire. That is, a lighter bolt, as used in the earlier models of Thompson's, would have reciprocated faster and produced too great a firing speed. This, in turn, meant that the Thompson could not be radically lightened without deterioration of its controllability, as a heavy gun was necessary in automatic fire to counteract and stabilize the effects of control and accuracy of its heavy bolt moving backwards and forwards. The Rising's bolt is much lighter due to its delayed blowback mechanism being the main determinant uh, of the automatic fire rate, rate of fire, rather. and consequently, the whole gun could be correspondingly light without distracting from accuracy and controllability. The Rising was more balanced than the Thompson because the barrel and receiver group rested concentrically within the stock. It had smoother lines and, it, and the stock was conventional shaped. And because of the cocking handle, or action bar as it was called, was placed inside the forearm. And in addition, it was more accurate both in semi-auto and the onset of automatic fire because due to it being a closed bolt gun, only the hammer and firing pin moved at the moment the trigger was squeezed, whereas the Thompson slammed forward uh, and slammed home a heavy bolt actuator when you pull the trigger on it. It was much like the BAR. You pull the trigger, the bolt slammed forward, and that's when it fired. The uh, resin, rising uh, was made of sev uh, was made in selective fire versions that could be switched between semi-automatic and full automatic fire as needed, and in semi-auto only versions to be used for markmanship and training, and police guard and guard use. The Rising had a designed full-auto cyclic rate of 450 to 600 rounds per minute, and it was reported that the true full-auto rate was closer to 750 to 850 rounds per minute. And it, believe it or not, they only had 20-round magazines for this thing, so that's a lot of shifting, which means a 20-round magazine could be emptied in less than two seconds. In uh, 1941, Rising uh, was priced at approximately 50 bucks per weapon as opposed to two and a quarter for standard military-issue Thompsons. There were four versions of the Rising, 
two selective fire models, the M50 and the M55, and two semi-automatic uh, models of the uh, M55. Now, M60, a 45 carbine, and the M65. Now, uh, they were the M65 was chambered in 22 long rifle uh, for uh, training purposes. There were two differences between the M50 and the M55, being the elimination of the compensator and the addition of a folding wire buttstock, making the M55 lighter and shorter. The M55 was originally issued to Marine Parachute Infantry and Armored Vehicle Crews. The M60 was a long-barrel semi-automatic carbine that was designed primarily for military training and police use. However, few of these ever were ever sold although mechanically near identical to the submarine submachine variants the concept was borne out from the H&R's ill-fated 30 caliber carbine light rifle prototype that was trialed against the M1 carbine and uh, the marines used the M60s for training guard duty and other non-combative roles some M60s were believed to have been issued to the marine officers at Guadalcanal the remaining guns were passed to the state guards and civilian law enforcement agencies. The M65 was developed as a sub-caliber training rifle and uh, version of the M60. It was produced only from 44 to 46. H&R H &R later made updates to the M65 and sold them to the civilian market and to the Marines in small numbers. As the MC58 and the M. 150-151-165 Leatherneck. The, the Rising entered military service primarily because of uncertainty of supply of sufficient quantities of Thompsons. In the testing stage, it won out uh, over some other competing designs. It was very light, quite accurate, and it, and it aimed and fired well, and capable of intensive fire against personnel within the range of 300 yards. It was attributed to, this was attributed to its better stock fit and intricate closed bolt delayed blowback design. Most submachine guns fire from an open bolt position, meaning that full mass of the bolt slams forward when the trigger is pulled. With the bolt closed system employed by the rising, there is much less movement involved and far lighter components and the resulting improved control and in the moment before shooting gives better accuracy. Both the semi-automatic and, uh, and the onset of full automatic fire, and less advantageously though, this more accurate firepower was somewhat limited due to the 20-round capacity of its largest magazine. The U.S. Marines adopted the Rising in 41 with 4,200 authorized per division with approximately 500 authorized per each infantry regiment. Most risings were originally issued to uh, Marine officers and NCOs in lieu of a compact and light carbine since the newly introduced M1 carbine was not yet being issued to the Marines. Although the Thompson submachine gun was available, this weapon frequently proved too heavy and bulky for jungle patrols, and initially it was in short supply. During World War II, the rising first saw action on August 7, 1942, exactly eight months to the day after Pearl Harbor, when 11,000 men from the 1st Marine Division stormed the beaches of Guadalcanal and the Solomon Islands. That same date, the Guadalcanal's invasion 
The Model 50 and 55 saw action with the first Marine Raiders on the small outlying islands of Tulagi and Tamaboro uh, to the north. Two companies of Marine paratroopers also used the Model 55s to attack the island of Gavutu uh, between Tulagi and Tamaboro. Paramarines and armored crewmen were issued the folding stock 55, M55, and this version included a notable flaw. Its wireframe stock was poorly designed, crude, and flimsy, and had a tendency to fold while firing. Moreover, other serious shortcomings in both guns were becoming apparent. The reality was that the Rising was designed as a civilian police weapon and was not suited for the stresses of hard battle conditions encountered in the Solomon Islands, namely sand, salt water, and the difficulty of keeping the weapon clean enough to function properly. Tests at the Aberdeen Proving Ground in Fort Benning, Georgia, had found difficulties in blindfold reassembly of the Ryzen, indicating the design was complicated and difficult to maintain. Many of the parts were hand-fitted at the factory, and this lack of parts interchangeability was not a problem for a civilian security or police firearm, but it was very problematic when risings were maintained in the field under back conditions. While more accurate than the Thompson, particularly in semi-automatic mode, the risings had a tendency to jam. This was in part due to its overly complex delayed blowback design. This design used a system of levers within the receiver to release a fragile firing pin that could break, rust, or freeze in the humid jungle climate. Uh, another problem with this form of delayed blowback was the recess in which the bolt lodged in when in battery. Uh, if this accumulated dirt or fouling, these could prevent the bolt from seating in it properly, and uh, if this happened, the trigger disconnector automatically prevented firing. In addition, the magazine was, it was a staggered column single cartridge feed design. A slight damage of the feed lips or debris in the magazine would render the magazine unusable. A partial solution to this magazine problem was the latter introduction of a single column magazine that reduced the capacity from 20 to 12 rounds. Imagine having 12 rounds and a rifle in your in-combat getting shot at, changing your magazine every two seconds. But anyway, the Rising earned a dismal reputation for reliability in combat conditions of Guadalcanal. The uh, M1 carbine eventually became available and was often chosen over both the Rising and the Thompson in the wet tropical conditions of uh, the M1928 Thompson built-in oiling pads and receivers were a liability. In late 1943, numerous complaints of rising and, uh, the Rising was withdrawn from the Fleet Marine Force units and assigned to stateside guard detachments and ship detachments. After the Marines proved reluctant to accept more Risings and with the increased issue of the 30 caliber M1 carbine, the U.S. government passed some Rising submachine guns onto the OSS and various foreign governments as Lend-Lease aid. Canada purchased some Model 50 SMGs for their, and uh, these were issued to 2nd Battalions in Canada, where the 1st Battalions of regiments were serving overseas. They were issued along with the 30-06 M1917 infield and the 30-06 Lewis machine guns. 
One such unit to receive them was the uh, 2nd Battalion Seaforth Highlanders of Canada. The Veterans Guard of Canada were also issued the weapon to guard German prisoners of war. Others were given various anti-accents resistant forces operating around the world. Many risings, particularly in the semi-automatic M60 uh, rifles, were issued to the state guards for guarding war plants, bridges, and other strategic resources. And after the war, thousands of rising Model 50 submachine guns were acquired by state, county, and local law enforcement agencies. The weapon proved to be much more successful in this role, in contrast to its wartime reputation. Agent R was justifiably proud of rising superior accuracy and balance, lighter weight, and ease of manufacturing when compared to the Thompson. However, the Rising's close tolerances and delicate, uh, delicate magazine proved unreliable in the sand and mud of the Solomons. Unless kept scrupulously clean, the gun quickly became despised by the frontline Marines and Lieutenant Colonel Merritt A. Edison, Edison, commander of the 1st Marine Raider Battalion, he ordered that the Risings be flung into Guadalcanal's crocodile-infested Lunga River as his troops resorted to reliable bolt-action Springfield rifles. This failure made a mockery of H.R.'s company slogan, six and one-half pounds of controlled dynamite. The uh, H&R Rising will get a bullet there whenever you need it. That's what they said. Well, filling the fit of certain parts uh, during production limited interchangeability. The exposed rear sight had no protective ears and was vulnerable to breakage. The adjustable front sight could be lost if it was uh, lost if the retaining screw wasn't tightened securely. The weapon was un uh, susceptible to jamming if grime clogged the bolt's uh, locking recess on the receiver. Uh, the two small magazine guide retaining pins and corresponding receiver stud holes were tapered, allowing disassembly and assembly only from one direction only right to left for disassembly and left to right for assembly, adding to unacceptable levels of complexity in a combat environment. The retaining pins had to be delicately tapped out wherever the bolt needed to be moved for cleaning again and awkwardly involved task whilst under fire. And afterwards, when the pins had to be put back during the reassembly process, they were inserted either too far or not far enough. The receiver would not fit back into the right confines of the stock. So, sounds like it's a piece of shit. <laughs> but anyway, production of the Model 50 and Model 55 machine guns ceased in 1945 at the end of the war. Nearly 120,000 submachine guns were made, of which two-thirds went to the Marines, and H&R continued production of Model 60 semi-automatic rifle in hopes of domestic sales. But with the demand, production of the Model 60 stopped with little demand. In 1949, with uh, over 3,000 manufactured, H&R sold their remaining inventory of submachine guns to the police and correctional agencies across America who were interested in rising selective fire capability. Semi-automatic accuracy and low relative cost to the Thompson. Then, faced with continued demand, H&R resumed production of the Model 50 in 1950 
which sputtered to a halt in 1957 with nearly 5,500 additional submachine guns manufactured. But just when rising stories seemed to end, a foreign order was received in the 1960s for nearly 2,000 more Model 60s, but that order was finally in at the end. That was it. Decades later, in 1986, H&R closed its doors and the Numrich Arms, also known as Gun Parts Corporation, purchased their entire inventory, acquiring a number of Model 50 receivers. Nunrich assembled them with parts, and these weapons all have an S preceding the serial number and were sold domestically in the early 1990s. After reparkerization and fitting with newly manufactured walnut stocks, these stocks are distinguished from the originals by their wider and normal sling uh, than normal sling levels and butt stocks, by the fact that they have no stock tile ties and have uh, H&R marked plastic butt plates. Originally, they were unmarked metal. Now that talks about the rising machine gun. So if you got any bitches, gripes, or complaints, feel free to contact us. Send us an email at gunsmoke at yahoo.com. That's G-U-N-S-M, smoke. So until next time, y'all take care.